Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is another of the Distraction Pieces, kind of rewind episodes. Um, This one is from, when was it? It was from October 28th, 2015. And it's with Akala, who's, again, a rapper, an activist, a writer. His book, Natives, is all the more essential reading right now. But um, I think you'll enjoy this one. As said, if you missed the the first one earlier, sorry, we did. Today was meant to be a drunk cast day. Recorded a great chat with Jade Adams and Rich Wilson and Chris and Stu getting drunk and getting rowdy. And we do talk about everything that's going on. And it's, you know, it's a heavy drunk cast. It gets light as well. But um, for now, yeah, we wanted to keep it. Just shine a light on some conversations that have come previously on the podcast that feel very relevant now. So, yeah, this is the chat with Akala from 2015. Um, And also, you may hear adverts on this podcast, but we will be making a donation higher than the amount we earn from these adverts to um, the causes that need the money right now. Uh, The one it looks like we're going to be supporting is the Minnesota Bail um, or, or originally it was going to be the Minnesota Bail um, Fund, but they've asked people, they've paused essentially donations because they're a small a small ch- charity that suddenly had the world's focus on them. So if we can't donate to them, it will be someone similar to help this situation. Um, yeah, so apologies if the adverts feel inappropriate, but it's going to be a good cause uh, that, that, that benefits from them and more. Um, yeah. As I said, this is from 2015. It was episode 65 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and it's with Akala. Just big love and respect to everyone who's 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 f- fighting uh, this all r- right now and previously. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy the chat. not get any big start or intro so i'm joined by akala how you doing man i'm not too bad at all yourself i'm good i'm good and this has been one that the, the both of us have had requests for f- have, yeah, for, for a while, while so it's yeah. good to to put this on um and thanks for taking the t- a, a, a time um as people have been messing me about it each time i'm like yeah yeah we'll get around to it oh you know you always have yeah, a long list a lot of course, requests yeah. and then i just keep seeing you doing more and more interviews yeah. and just killing it and more and more bits on shows so i was mm. like it feels we need to make this happen now so it does indeed, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased to get here um you've just got back from zimbabwe i have indeed i How literally came back yesterday morning i had a show in well a spoken word event in birmingham last night nice and then i had a workshop i was doing in east london today with a kind of um, young, actually, a group of female artists, all women, actors, poets, writers, singers. Um, so that was really interesting. But yeah, I got nice. back from Zimbabwe at 5am yesterday morning. Damn. And, w- and what were you doing in, in Zimbabwe? Were you working? Were you Yeah, I was working. Scoping? So I, it was like, actually it was, it was like a scoping visit yeah. for a long, potential long-term collaboration with my company, the Hip Hop Shakespeare Company, um, and local organisations out there via the British Council. It's one of the um, most distinctive and exciting things about what you're doing specifically is i mean we'll get onto all of it but you're doing a lot of stuff in the arts that you're crossing over hip-hop you're, pros- mm. you're crossing over spoken word 
theatre, all sorts of performance. But what's really exciting is how much of it is translatable outside of the UK. Mm. So going and looking in Africa, going yeah. and looking in in, mm. in the Middle East, or, or any, you know, there's there's yeah, so many absolutely. options where it seems to, to translate nicely. So yeah, so how is that? Like it's, trying it's, to think globally on each project rather than thinking, can we get booked? In Greenwich, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, can like we have to think the world on this? It's really interesting. Even being in somewhere like Zimbabwe, you realise how much the internet has just changed the game. Yeah, I mean, walking down the street in Harare, it was wasn't quite like being in London. Yeah, but you know, every day at least four or five people stopped me. Yeah, and knew crazy. who I was and wanted photos and knew fire in the booth That's and was like, I watched your London Real interview or whatever it was, right? So yeah, you have yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, the internet has just completely changed the game and it means as an artist, as a thinker, as a theatre practitioner, as any kind of person that does anything audio or visual, you have direct access to the people mm -hmm. without the interference yeah. really of, of corporate bullshit, without the interference of a radio playlist person telling you they don't know where your song fits in or it's not 3 minutes 45 yeah, or yeah, it's yeah. about something other than girls and bikinis and yeah, walking yeah. to the shops, you know. So you have this really... Uh, a brave new world out there yeah. to coin a phrase and, and and actually the travels I've done this year really showed me that more than any previous year I was in New York that was like being in London I went to Afropunk yeah. Festival and I was just shocked everybody at the festival knew me it was yeah, it was every two minutes it was I it's crazy I isn't it? Said it, it was, because it's the kind yeah. of thing that again f five ten years ago I'd, I'd I had Roots Maneuver on a few weeks mm. back and he was saying how touring America was so hard because of him being the first real yeah, a, a UK rap act to be out there doing mm. that. And now there's a lot, there'd still be, you talk to a booking agent and I guarantee you'd still, and this isn't any diss, but you'd have some booking agent going, well, I don't know if your profile's good enough, Absolutely. isn't that? Whereas if you were just to do it yourself with people who exactly. are hitting you up and all this, it's like, Absolutely. right, no, we'll, we can make this happen. Yeah. And I think that's a huge change in the industry well, at the moment. I'm touring in Australia in December, same thing. And I it's mean, crazy, I've never right? been on a major label. I haven't had a Radio 1 playlist since 2005. Yeah. So it's t literally 10 years since I, I had a daytime playlisted song. Yeah. In those 10 years, I've probably performed in at least 40 countries. That's crazy, And so it's, it? it's, that's partly that I think being an artist that talks about things that resonate globally yeah. means you pull in a particular kind of audience that stays with you but also literally just the internet I say this to young artists all the time when I came in the game and I'm not old you know we're talking 10 years ago yeah. there was no Facebook there was no Twitter there was no YouTube no, if man. you wanted to be seen you had to compete with big American record labels to get on MTV Yeah, which I did you know I lost a lot of money in the beginning of my career shooting big budget music videos yeah, yeah, to yeah. try and get on to MTV who was at the time wasn't playing any UK rappers um, and then obviously Channel U came along. I was going to say, that was it. You had the choice of keeping it real local. And yeah. I'm, I'm meaning dividing yeah. up London. Absolutely. Like, not yeah. just saying yeah, South, yeah, like really keeping it r real local to make a name or going that route of going, right, we're going to try and be a major label style act. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's tough, man. It was no, tough it was, then, it was, it's tough now. It was very tough. I mean, my aim was always to be independent, but was to compete at that level. And then yeah. as... As things evolved more and I found more who I was as an artist and I found more what I wanted to do and I, I thought more about creating something that was a bit more holistic, that had a f one foot in theatre, that as we're moving forward has you know a foot in, t in the TV world, we're working on a lot of projects in that space, kind of arts and culture uh, space projects, that really was a, you know has one foot in the literature world. I wrote a yeah. graphic novel, I, I wrote a book of poems, I'm working on some longer term stuff writing um, some play stuff. So I just kind of feel really blessed, actually, and really lucky. 
And part of it is just the time that I was born at. If I was yeah. born 20 years earlier and I had the same range of ideas and desires and, and dare I say it, talents, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had. Yeah. So in many ways, we're just lucky to be born at a time when actually we can circumvent the traditional industry, even what you're doing with this podcast. Well, that's you can it. set up a couple of microphones and be like, bam. And that's there it. And go. it can go straight directly out to people. You don't have to be having a boss or going through a middleman or having things signed off or cleared. And there's no exactly. overseen agenda. And Absolutely. again, I, I ramble about it online all the time about my excitement about the, the, the uprising of podcasts at the moment. Mm. But I genuinely think it's in that last election, everyone went on and on about how the media are portraying certain parties or the media are, are not covering um, the, the, the anti austerity marches and things like that. It's like, that's your choice of media. Yeah, j- that's true. J- a, a, a gentleman, you can complain true. all you yeah. like about the media, yeah. but if there yeah, is yeah. all this that's stuff true. is being covered, or if it's not, you can cover this shit now. Yeah. Even if it's on absolutely. Twitter or on a blog or anything else, yeah, like, this can be covered and that can be, be got out there. So I think it's great because we're seeing people now being more proactive rather than just complaining about how the media is going, right, I, I, I reject that media. I reject yeah. that. I don't care about the tabloids. I, yeah. I care about, like the Joe Rogan podcast in America gets like Absolutely. two, three million listeners every episode. Exactly. They're generally three hours long and he does a couple a week. That's exactly. a huge reach and huge Humongous. power. And yeah, again, it's, it's, it's that thing. It'll start to take away from that. And even even things, as you said, like a fire in the booth. Yeah, they're their BBC attached, but again, they're going out, they're just on yeah. the internet but, but as, if, this, if as this was... independent thing that can build and build. But I mean, yeah, it's on the Beeb, but I mean, credit to Charlie, what he's been brave enough to do is to give the same platform yeah. to the complete range of voices within UK hip-hop. Yeah. To have Loki and myself, quote-unquote, the so-called conscious people, yeah. to have... And people have this misconception that those of us who are quote-unquote conscious have something against those who are quote-unquote not my issue was always representation. Yeah. Hip-hop is supposed to be, a, as, as, as Brother Ali put it, a complete plate. Yeah. You've got starters, you've got your main course, you've got your dessert. Completely. I've got no issue. There should always be road rap. That's part of reality. Yeah. But we shouldn't have every rapper pretending they've sold crack and they shoot people because that's yeah. fake. My thing is that should represent a small percentage because that's the reality in the ends, right? The vast majority of, of young boys growing up are working in JD Sports or going yeah. to college. Or, and those realities are valid. So for me, for what Charlie's done and what's, what accounts for his success is having the Giggses of this world, the Stormsies of this world and everything in between, whoever else he's had, he's literally had a complete kind of range of the scene to, like I said, the people like me and the Lokis, the Lady Leashes, whoever else. He's had um, such, a, such a range of representation, unlike, yeah. say, Westwood, who went before him, who only wanted to have American artists on his show yeah, and completely. would give UK hip-hop artists 10 minutes. And then got killed by KRS One, KRS One, anyway, just coming in and saying, so like, many people had "You're a joke." You're it, like saying exactly. to his face, and that was dope. And I'm, I'm really glad you've highlighted that because, I mean, there's a US rapper on my label called B Dolan, mm. who's very political, mm. very active, and we've discussed before how awkward it can be that the fan base that you you build often won't have that openness that you've just discussed there. Yeah, I'll, no, I'll post. Yeah. A little, a little Wayne song because yeah. I like a little Wayne song, and they'll be like, "How can you post this?" Illuminati, blah blah blah. It's like, dude, I like music. Yeah, there's there's room for everything, and like at my club night, at my club night, I'm not playing that much conscious hip hop because mm. I'm DJing at one a.m. and I'm drunk. 
I don't want to hear country. Like, no, like, no, like, I Unless hear, it's like it's bigger than hip hop. Dead Prez Mick, is a club song. Yeah, Evic so. Mensa, or yeah, or, yeah. or Dead Prez or MOP, yeah. or people like that. So people yeah. who are saying shit, but still, I want to hear bangers. It's like, yeah, I want to dance. Room yeah. for all of that yeah. in. I'm not in into this. Music. I find this kind of judgmental, and I think people have got that mistake from me sometimes. I think questioning the promotion of violence and misogyny and all those things in hip hop is absolutely valid. Yeah, pretending hip hop is different from other art forms and should be held to an exceptionally higher standard of morality than say Hollywood films which yeah. do the same thing glorify violence and misogyny and the mafia and the FBI and the CIA who dare I say have probably done far more damage in this world than yeah. young boys in the hood why should hip hop be held to a different standard it's a, it's a global conversation that affects all forms of art and that's not me passing the buck it's just me saying I grew up and I love DMX and Mob Deep and I'm not going to apologise for that now because I'm yeah. 31 yeah. and maybe I don't play that music every day at 15 that's what I loved so it'd yeah. be very judgmental and backwards of me to st- act like I don't now understand why 15 year old boys particularly in difficult environments and girls love the equivalents yeah. for yeah, me completely. DMX was creative he was an artist he was brilliant it might have been very negative yeah. but if you look at his life what do you expect? Exactly and people forget as well that you've You've every right to be offended, but also that isn't a reason for something to not exist. Exactly. Like that, the, this yeah, particular exactly. thing Absolutely. offends me personally. Yeah. It's like, cool, and you're right, and you're, you're, you're right yeah, to discuss that, absolutely. to debate that. That doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. it, you know, I mean, it's still a valid thing. If we form. take The Merchant of Venice, yeah. the way Shakespeare describes Jewish people in that play, yeah. to, in today's language, is offensive. There's no yeah. way around it. That today would be considered a racist play. Yeah. But does that mean Shakespeare's not a genius? Because he wrote a play that was. I mean, there's no way around it. It's, it's, it's a racist play. Yeah. You know, the, the, all the stereotypes and tropes and even the language that's used to describe Shylock is offensive. Ira Aldridge, actually, a famous African-American actor in the 1880s, yeah. he performed that play but he in Russia, but he, did, he edited the text. He refused to perform it as it was because right. he was like, I don't want to perform it that way. We need to edit it because it's, it's racist, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is just an interesting anecdote. Um, but it's, I mean, it's completely true. You look along... Um, emo- um, a most religious um, texts as well. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be areas there. in promotion of slavery, has, yeah, murder, exactly. kill the neighbor, bury their babies. You know all kind of madness. And again, Does that, that black and white the of either saying, "Oh, therefore they're all evil." Again, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got this same stance on religion. I personally, I'm not a religious person. Mm. I think there's been a lot of harm done by different religions, sure. but no there's been it. a lot of good done by different yeah. religions as well. So it's like as. It's how people as long as it's not being it f- forced upon me. Yeah. It's like you do you, and you know that's all but, good. I mean, right? there's been a lot of good done by science. There's also been a lot of harm, you know. And what, yeah. what's I find fascinating, this new snobbery towards religion, I find really dangerous in a way that it's almost like being religious is considered the old form of being a savage. What do I mean by that? No one ever calls a physicist and says, "Can you explain why the nuclear bomb was made yeah. or why yeah. machine guns were made?" You know, yeah. you, science is science is inherently violent. You must defend science. Science is a tool, and it can be used to promote violence. It has done. It can be used to create weapons of mass destruction Completely. and murder. Religion, similarly, if if for me as again as a, a person that isn't traditionally religious in an Abrahamic sense, I look at the spread of religion and the violence attached to it and the slavery justified by it. But then I also have to look at the converse and all the millions of people throughout the world who found it within their hearts, within their religious beliefs, to find inspirations of love and inspirations for revolution even. inspiration. I mean, Marcus Garvey and the Ku Klux Klan had the same religion. 
It's you know, crazy, Harriet Tubman right? and the yeah. Ku Klux Klan had the same religion. Yeah. You know, how is that the case? That's how open-ended most of these books are, that Completely. someone can take slavery and racism from the same thing and someone else can take revolution from it. And, and of course, in the Islamic world where we are, which is the main dialogue of religion at the moment, we have that same level of nuance. Yeah. We have Sufis and we have all these religious traditions that have been used to spread peace, that have been used to spread a message of acceptance. And then, of course, like in any part system anywhere in the world, you have lunatics. The difference is those lunatics are held up as representative of 1.6 billion people on this planet. And I, I would, I would, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take common sense to explain that those lunatics are about as representative of all Muslims as the KKK are of all Christians. They yeah, exist, yeah, no doubt about yeah, it. It's bizarre but, that it does have to be explained. I remember all, all, I remember all the demand for people for, you know, different, um, figureheads of, of Muslim society to apologise for certain things when there have been these recent atrocities. It's like, what's that's got to such do with a dumb thing. Someone from Algeria that someone yeah. from Saudi Arabia killed someone. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's completely, it's, it's tying together these individual things, these small likenesses. It's, it's like saying, oh, that guy was also six foot three, so I want all six foot three people yeah. to apologise for, for his what, actions, person, you know. Yeah. It's not, there's, it's, it's not what, also causation. What's, what's you know? dangerous about it is... We live in a world where, sadly, political illiteracy is so high. That let, let, let's take 9-11 and its aftermath. And let's go with the official story for a minute. We, yeah. won't, we won't get into anything else. 19 guys, if you, again, if you, if you roll with the official story, from Saudi Arabia commit yep. an act, an atrocity. Saudi Arabia, of course, is an American and British ally. Yeah. No one doubts that. And Iraq, who doesn't get along with Saudi Arabia, who has no connection to al-Qaeda whatsoever, and everyone accepts that, can be made to pay for it because yeah. in the world's imagination well you're all muslim and you're all a bit brown so somehow even though it's our ally where the where the terrorists in this case came from even in the official explanation some other country can be made to pay and that's the danger of tying together such large swathes of people based on race or religion or or belief system i mean it's like something happened in russia and people saying you know sweden can pay for that you know yeah you're all white I mean, so no it's, big deal it's it's a lack of education right it's, yeah, it's sure. a lack of understanding outside of and England and America are probably the worst for this. And I heard heard someone the other day describe England as as, as the America of Europe, which I thought was great because because we, yeah. we are we are we're, some we're, ways, yeah, we're yeah, so in sure. our own world in in many ways. So even education on geography—that's the yeah. simplicity of, of what you were saying there. Because to be honest, at the time I didn't really know who was aligned with who. Who was yeah, for sure. so so? It wasn't until I and looked we into it, which I chose yeah. to look yeah, into absolutely. it. But it wasn't until I looked into it that I was like. Right, so Hold why them. are they going after Iraq? Why yeah, what's are they, he got to do with that? Yeah, exactly. You know, where's the, the, the tie in here? But yeah. it's a fundamental problem in our educational systems then, right? Well, on, it's, on, it's, on learning more globally rather than here's what happened in England 500 years ago, 600 years, you know, everything else. Which is, instead of looking at here's what's happened in different parts of the world mm. in the last 100 years. My thing is know? also, even what we learn about England, England yeah. has, like any part of the human... Uh, world, progressive, revolutionary, for want of a better word, socialist-leaning traditions that were yeah. about sharing, uh, anti-slavery, that were anti-privatisation of land, going all the way back to the Peasants' Revolt, to the Levellers, the Diggers, Thomas Spence, Thomas Paine. England has those traditions. Yeah. The, the, um, the massacre at Peterloo. What I find fascinating is that imperial success, if we can call it success, has brainwashed a lot of people into identifying 
with symbols of oppression, including Henry VIII, who killed thousands of poor people. We're, yeah. t- we're, we're taught divorce, beheaded, died, divorce, beheaded, survive. We're not taught that he murdered lots of poor people just because it's fun and it's Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. You know, so it's very fascinating. Even what we learn about England is tempered by a particular view of who is English and who represents the country yeah. and, and what constitutes English history. When I was much younger and I studied much less world history, I used to feel like only black people had been written out of world history. Which, of course, the extremity to which Africa has been written out of the human story is probably the most extreme. But to different degrees around the world, women, poor people, uh, people who are political dissidents are written out of the national story, even if they fundamentally shaped yeah, that given country. I mean, it's it's easy to overlook that it's far more prevalent as a class thing rather than as a race or sex thing. And so that at points, women were a lower class. At points certain races were a lower class and it's therefore class that can often be the thing that's that's that that actually unifies them as who are written out and who are ignored well i think i think the thing the two things are not mutually exclusive or the three things i think class race and gender function as a matrix altogether yeah and i don't think one predominates the other i think they they interact in a way that is is quite insidious because for example you can be a wealthy person i was just in zimbabwe yeah if the, the wealthy class in Zimbabwe around the world are invisible because of where they are in the world. They're in black Africa. It, there's a perception of how they live based on racial ideology that has nothing to do with their reality. They drive Mercedes. They live like rich people everywhere else. They yeah. eat at the ice cream parlor. They go to the shopping mall. They live in nice, huge houses with massive farms. Like life for rich people in Zimbabwe and in most of Africa is, is fantastic. Just yeah. like life is for rich people, at least materially. And so our racial assumptions based on kind of mistaught history can still exist and go against the grain of class, just in the same way that poor people can be made to hate the other in the way that when we came here as Caribbeans, there was a lot of physical violence and resistance. And even now we're seeing this year, which has been one of the saddest things of this year for me, black South Africans murdering other African immigrants coming into their country on the grounds of your set sounding like racist what we would quote unquote see as being racist white people coming yeah. here taking our jobs blah 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 we had a Zulu king come out and diss all these other Africans that were coming about 60 people were murdered might have yeah. even been more than that I mean there was a massive and given that South Africa inspired the world with its anti-racist struggle given that other African nations lent help to that anti-apartheid struggle to me seeing that level of kind of virulent anti-black racism coming from other black people was part of the legacy of apartheid but also just of human weakness was, it was kind of really humbling. You know, you look yeah. at the world and you think this, this, this kind of gargantuan set of problems that we have, it, it can be overawing sometimes. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, do you think that in, in some ways comes back round to, to the, the, the ability to take on certain traits or overwhelming notions because of the internet now? So, so that general feeling now around a lot of the world that you're seeing of immigrants are bad, immigration bad, which is crazy when you think of literally every country exactly. is built on immigration. Oh, exactly. Literally every, every country. Yeah. So you're saying that immigration from now 
is bad. So it, was, so it wasn't. Well, no, but a few even, years then, back, even then, we're you know, only. Let's be clear. I mean, I, we're, we're in we're in uh, Kensington and Chelsea. We are in the wealthiest borough in Britain right now, which yeah. also has a lot of poverty in it. I point that out because no one's now. There's a whole bunch of Islamic immigrants. Yeah. Just south of this borough. Yeah. That are billionaires. That's not who we're talking about when we say migration, no. right? Yeah, so yeah, even yeah, when we're talking yeah, about yeah. this, is what I mean about race and class. Yeah. Right. When we talk about Muslims migrating here, who have we got an issue with? It's not Muslim billionaires from oil-rich Gulf states who buy Ferrari and McLarens and, st- and, and keep all the hotels in Kensington and Knightsbridge full. Yeah. We haven't got an issue with those people. No. So even though they're the quote-unquote wrong religion, even though they're the quote-unquote wrong race, their money and their allegiance to the British elite means that they're not a problem. It's not those immigrants we mean. It's yeah, the poor totally. people. It's people that are perceived to be... And even if those rich people, many of their elites can be proved to be allied to certain ideologies and funding certain dangerous ideologies doesn't matter as long as they keep the oil flowing and keep the money in the right people's back pockets. I mean, the scariest part f- of, for me is the immigrants that the majority of the UK who are against immigration are against are fictional immigrants. They're immigrants that aren't real people. They're of these course. versions of them that yeah. you've read about and heard of these course. fear-mongering stories of about. Course. So it's, it's crazy that there's such an uproar over, again, a fictional thing. And again... Not to keep coming back to it, but surely that comes down to, to greater education. comes down to greater education, and you're right, it comes or down pro- to... Or providing of information, at least. Yeah. It's, it's, it's both the things we talked about, in fact, education and a freer, more open and accurate media, rather than we can say, say yeah. what we want, and then it'll be read, and then we can rescind some of it down the line if it wasn't quite right, you know, but that's not going to be paid attention to. I think the sad thing is, whether we like it or not, the mainstream media isn't isn't going anywhere, and people no. are not going to turn off those channels. So I think we have to, as, as people involved in alternative media, we have to create our own platforms, yeah. and where possible, interact with and engage with putting different information on those popular platforms. And all of the uproar around immigration this year... Has, and during the election, is really just about distracting us from the problems of this society. Yeah. And that the ruling elite of this society, like ruling elites in most societies, have displayed immense corruption, giving 700 billion or whatever the number was to their mates who ruined the economy, privatising everything from here to kingdom come, creating all sorts of problems within the society that are totally unnecessary. Britain is a very wealthy society, has more than enough money to feed, clothe, house, educate, provide healthcare for every single person in this country many times over. More, more than and that's that's something that has to be made clear when people respond to immigration with things like, well, once we've sorted out our own homeless issues or our own things, then then we can start thinking about yeah. the rest of the world. It's like, well, no, that 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 that's of that stuff that we can, that stuff that's in in the budgets yeah, and yeah, in the cash flow of, of, of the country. And and the problem with that isn't people coming here. A B. Most of the people that have come here have come here skilled, qualified. I mean, yeah. we can't, we've got to make up our mind. If we don't like immigrants, then we shouldn't use the NHS because yeah, it was built yeah, by yeah. immigrants. You know, make, make up your mind. 100%. And I'm fine with it. If you don't like immigrants, then die there's, instead of letting the Bangladeshi woman a, or the Ghanaian there's woman. There's a Doug Stanhope bit where he's saying about how, in, um, particularly in, in America, near, the nearer to Mexico you get, the more there's people saying... These people coming over, they can't even speak the language. They can't even do the, you know, do basic things. And then they also say they're they're stealing our jobs. It's like if you're losing your job to someone who can't even speak the the language. If if you're putting this, if you're putting this this person down, if in your mind the people coming over here are such a drain on society, then if they're stealing your jobs, then you need to up your fucking game, really. You know, it's 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 not. You can't have both of them. Exactly, they can't be completely useless, lazy. 
welfare you need claimants to pick your fiction. and also having jobs. Like, yeah. At least if you're yeah. going to go with a stereotype, be consistent. Yeah. But I mean, also the hypocrisy, particularly for Britain, is the amount of British people living abroad um, runs well into the millions. A, yeah. B, the history of this country founding settler colonial uh, states in South Africa, in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, in Australia, in America. All of those descendants still live there. Some yeah. of whom are direct, like when I was in Zimbabwe, there's over a million people of British descent in Zimbabwe still, all of whom are quite wealthy, despite what people want to tell you. Yeah. All of whom live very well, despite how people want to portray it. That's why they haven't come back. And so we've got to make up our mind. You know, we can't act like this kind of small, victimised, tiny little island when this country was the first global empire in the history of humanity. Make up your mind. Britain had 52 countries, I've said this before, that it claimed to be the mother of, it was mm -hmm. the mother country of the British Commonwealth, and the vast majority of the people who've immigrated into this country are from the British Commonwealth. The recent waves of immigration, we've got to make up our mind. Either we love Syrians so much that we want to militarily intervene to save them from their supposed... And I don't know enough about Syrian politics, yeah, so I'm yeah, not saying yeah. Assad is or isn't a bad or good guy because I would like to look into it for myself. I haven't done that in the case of Syria enough sure. to make the comment. The point is, if we are willing to muster the military might of the British armed forces to save these people, because we love them apparently, yeah. yet we don't want them in our country. So if the truth is there's some British strategic interest to protect there, don't insult the British public, say, look oil region or uh, uh, you know we're against Iran and blah 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 whatever it is that is the strategic interest just be honest with the British public which is obviously not going to happen yeah. just say these are the reasons we think we should deploy yeah. military force but it's not because we love Syrians otherwise we'd be welcoming them into the country incidentally we also a lot of people like to forget this today during Nazi Germany Britain also refused to take a lot of Jewish people and describe them in particularly the Daily Mail in remarkably similar ways to the way that we're describing people yeah. coming from Syria today so yeah. people's memory is so short today because there is a genuine respect for the Holocaust as a particularly horrific event, no one wants to look back and admit Britain refused to take a lot of those migrants. Yeah. But that is yeah, what happens. Yeah. And, and so I feel like the British elite has learned nothing. Most ordinary people are decent people, I believe. And if you, the reason why I can prove that is if you look even where UKIP received all their votes. It was in all the places there's no immigrants. So what does it tell you? All the people that don't know any immigrants yeah. are the ones that hate them. There's like yeah. an inverse map and it's an inverse to where the populations of immigration are high and where uh, UKIP got their votes and it's all Completely. in all the populations. And it's, it's, it's fascinating as well because it does not to be um, unnecessarily kind of goading or, or disrespectful to your UKIPs and things mm. like that, but that, that fact just tells you that generally they are that bit further in the past you know in in in, in in areas where immigration where in in the, the, the 70s and 80s where african families came mm -hmm. into south london came mm -hmm. into the midlands mm -hmm. asian families into the mid mm -hmm. all over the country they're not the areas that have this issue because they've got to know this they've seen this they've built they've grown whereas now that that's happening and spreading out it's taken you know 10 mm -hmm. 20 30 years now that's starting to happen, they're having the same fears that that London had all course, them years I mean, you ago. Ain't, you ain't got to tell and, me. You know, yeah. And it turned out yeah. all right. It turned out affluent and really, you know, I, I would say in many, in many ways, London, for all its faults, I'm not going to pretend London is a paradise because it isn't. Yeah. Um, but in many ways, it is a model, quite a remarkable model, not because of the British elite, I would say in spite of them, particularly in working class London. I grew up in North London, Archway, Holloway, around there. My neighbourhood had kids from Somalia, India, Cyprus, Ireland, Turkey, 
Jamaica, Ghana, working class white English. Even we had actually a lot of kind of middle and upper class kids and in a weird way. Yeah. You know, I'm not... Race was there, you know. We particularly in primary school, it didn't matter so much. In secondary school, we did become stratified by race because of experience. All the young black boys started hanging around together because of the way teacher stereotyped us and because of getting searched by the police. And certain experiences socialise you into particular groups. But we still all kind of interacted. And the yeah. main tension was not race. Black boys were not fighting with Asian boys. In fact, Asian boys were fighting each other, the white boys were fighting each other, and the black boys were fighting each other. It was yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. the violence was segregated yeah. in groups. And there was some cross-cultural violence, but most of it was not based around race anymore. And so it's a really interesting new culture. If you look at young people in London today, again, I'm not saying it's a utopia, but I'd say to a remarkable degree, more than probably any other place on the planet, there is a, such a diverse range of people living next to each other in relative peace yeah and and that is quite fascinating about london as a model and actually I, it makes me very proud of the city even if i don't feel totally british or english i feel very much like a londoner and i feel very much like this city has shaped me and who i am and i wouldn't have had the experiences i've had and the interaction i've had with cypriot culture or gujarati culture or turkish people or irish people anywhere else in the world, while still remaining a proudness of who yeah. I am and what I am. And so in many ways, L London is very unique and very amazing. And it seems current policy is trying to destroy all of that. And again, pushing out all the poor people. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be down to, yeah. again, you've got to uh, look back at when we were this... That's the benefit, or when it was first acceptable, of when we were this great empire, supposedly, because yeah. we're going to all these places and saying how great... Britain yeah, exactly. You go around the world. It's amazing. You go around the world telling come. everyone exactly. that Britain's amazing. I'm like, say, if I want to come. And then a few years yeah, later, exactly, you're like, well, it's, no, it, it's, not, it's, it's not for you. It's like, no. You're... And, and the funny thing is, even, even this mythology that Britain was once this homogenous place, when? We can go back to the Industrial Revolution. And even then, conditions for workers were so bad in London mm. that every year they had to replenish the working population with immigrants. Immigrants yeah. from Eastern Europe, immigrants from Ireland, immigrants from all over the world. Granted, in many cases, most of those immigrants were quote-unquote European and what we today would call white. Nonetheless, immigration on an island has been constant. So I think, I think most of the people that would probably listen to someone like yourself already kind of know that. And that's yeah. the shame is that we're preaching to the converted. What hasn't been done is there hasn't been a comprehensive show just laying out the facts very simply. Not yeah. just of Britain, but of the history of the movement of people's around the world, which has obviously been a constant ever yeah. since the Ethiopian uh, Australopithecus called Dinkwanesh, that they call Lucy, to quote my friend Annie Anaxaguru. You know, people have been migrating forever. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's... Xenophobia ain't going to stop it's, it's great. Just speaking there of, of preaching to the converted, we had... I had some guests on from a website called fullfact.org who now have their own podcast as well. And what I like about them is they, they go through... they'll they'll look at Britain First posts and they'll, mm. they'll look at the stats quoted and they'll go and analyse them yep. and give the oh, correct brilliant. stats. But the thing I like about them is they will do the same f for left-wing yeah. posts or propaganda yeah, or things like that that absolutely. aren't accurate. And that's the uh, exciting thing there is, is, is finding more, or I guess the internet provided a platform to say, right, are we going to be unbiased? We're going to be as critical and as as stringent on on the stuff that we, we support, agree with. Yeah, absolutely. As, as well as the Which stuff we that we're against. You Just know? because we politically agree with something, there's no excuse for shoddy scholarship. Yeah. If I quote something and I'm mistaken, I want people to correct me on that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and say actually, have you checked out this? Just because you might agree broadly with the political point, there's no reason to not be specific and not to correct. Actually, that was inaccurate. 
that was inaccurate. Actually, there's new data around that. For example, I found out something yesterday I didn't really know. I mean, I've been studying African history for a very long time. And not that this is an inaccuracy, but it's just something that really fascinated me. I thought, wow, how could I not know that? And I've been studying this history for like 15 years. Yeah. I found out that there, there was an indigenous West African uh, smallpox inoculation and that the vast majority, almost all of the West Africans, were inoculated against smallpox before they were enslaved in the Americas, which is why smallpox did not have the effect on the African population oh, that wow. had on indigenous Americans. And this is known today. I mean, That's so, crazy. Right. Yeah, now, yeah. I've been studying this history 15, 20 years, and I didn't know that. So it's, it's really, shout out to Robin Walker, who's the scholar whose book I read that that was in. Yeah. Um, and for people who want it, I'll tweet the, uh, the, the book link and they can go in and check that out. But what I find, one of the things that's go great about the world today and the internet is this access to such a broad plethora of information, this ability yeah. to fact check very quickly. Obviously, it's another platform for spreading bullshit too. Yeah. But hey, you know, bullshit's always existed and, and just because I'm into a particular set of things can't, doesn't mean I can kind of get morally uptight. But it's, like, I said, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the ability to fact check that bit easier and still so many people won't and that's, that's something that we just have to deal with. I mean, that's it, mm. it's the an illustration of that I often use is people will tweet me asking when my next gig in Birmingham is or something like that when it's, it's like, blatantly it's listed like, right? like, or, or just like you're on you're on the internet yeah, like, you yeah, can sure. find that out you, yeah, like, you can find that out in a second just you can just google it yeah. you can do it but again it's that same thing it's and I'm, I've been guilty of it in the past it's far easier to read something that that makes your blood boil and, and repost it whereas yeah. now you can read something that makes your blood boil quickly do a quick search of fact checking it or or yeah. or or debunking or demystifying or whatever. And there's pages that do that, just go, right, here's the facts about it. Like, again, McDonald's are a great example of that. Mm. I don't eat at McDonald's. Me neither. I'm not... I haven't eaten meat for as nine much years, as anything. But... I'm not a fan of the taste, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're clearly not a great company. But yeah. they're one of the companies I end up arguing with people almost in favour of the most because there's so much bullshit out there about them that's mm. so easy to debunk that people believe, believe anything. If you did a post saying most of the burgers are made from horse meat and I've had these facts. Millions of people would push it out there mm. just believing it as fact. So again, mm. it's that thing of of checking, mm. che being astringent on what you believe in or what supports your beliefs. Yeah, there's enough wrong with McDonald's exactly. that you can just put, this is what's wrong with them and this is... And exactly. This is I think it's about being, um, having... I've always been obsessed with... It's, it's completely right to be passionate and have strength and conviction in your beliefs, but mm. not to be married to them to the extent you can't be educated on them or Absolutely. learn more. And that's, you know, it, it shouldn't be a shameful thing for someone to say, you're wrong, actually. Here's, here's yeah. why. Yeah, you know, that, that should be something that you're craving and mm. looking for. Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about the general British re reaction to things then, the, our, our way. I mean, we've talked a lot about the ruling classes, essentially. Mm. And I think... It saddens me at point how little we're we willing to do to back against them. Whereas you mm. look at, at places like France, example I often give, I loved it in France when they tried to bring clamping in mm. and the French people didn't agree with it. So as one, any time there was a clamp, they'd put glue in it. So it had to be broken to mm. be taken off. They stopped clamping. They acted as, as, a, as a community to say, we don't accept this from the government. Now, my only thinking on that is we're a, we have a history or the history we're taught is of the 
of the elite conquering and making us great, the great in Great Britain being mm-hmm. the kings and the queens, mm-hmm. not yep. the people. Whereas p- places like France, their history is is, is social revolution, is, mm-hmm. is is the people Even though they had up. an empire of the same scale. Yeah, exactly. Come but to the, define the, themselves the, by. But the bits that's, that's yeah. no more is yeah, when the people absolutely. have come up and said, mm-hmm. right, we're not going to uh, take this anymore. So what do we? Or what do you think we need to do to, to make the UK take more responsibility or say, right, if we're not happy with this, for example, if we're not happy with the way our electoral system works, in my mind, it's crazy that we in general go, right, well, next election, I'm going to vote against that. You know, I'm not saying that that's the the wrong thing to do. I'm Mm. saying surely there's more immediate or more direct ways to address your issues or or, um, or discontent. Politics is all day, every day. And I think we have been lulled into a sense of laziness by celebrity culture. I think we have been lulled into a lack of education about the way in which the hard-fought freedoms, limited freedoms that we have were won. So most people think that poor people have the right to vote or to go on holiday or to not live in Victorian slums because of the enlightenment of the ruling classes when actually every single freedom that people have in this country was hard fought and won, usually yeah. by the shed of blood. And I can I can prove that, we can go through it. Like I said, some of the things I mentioned earlier from the Peterloo Massacre, which was a march of uh, parliamentary, for parliamentary reform in which 15 unarmed protesters were hacked to death by the... Um, the Yeomanry, a military constabulary up in St. Peter's in Manchester, but not long after, parliamentary reform came yeah. because of this uh, consistent, determined uh, waves of resistance to a lack of democracy. It's very much a myth, an easy line to say violence never solved anything. And again, I'm not saying yeah. that violence is the only answer, but violence has been a very problems. powerful tool throughout history. And again, it's not, it's not always... If there's a peaceful solution... Fucking brilliant! That's great news. But Love it. there's not always a peaceful. Well, I mean, I'm solution. from. You, you, you look at people like yeah. um, Mandela or all these. Uh, yeah. Many of people where there was some violence involved there as well. But yeah, generally, when you look at the peaceful side of it, the peaceful side of it was took years and years in prison, and you know all all these other things rather than. And, and even then, I mean, many people would argue Mandela didn't defeat apartheid; he defeated political apartheid. Yeah. But the white settler colony that is South Africa is all of the wealth, all of the banks, most of the land, everything that was owned by the same people before apartheid is still owned by most of the same people after. So he got rid of political apartheid, which is a fantastic achievement. Huge. But it isn't the whole story. My family's from Jamaica, my dad's family. So for me, you know, something, an institution as unjust as slavery, people want to pretend it came to an end because of William Wilberforce, you know, uh, petition in Parliament. Abolitionism is part of the story. Meanwhile, in Jamaica, Sam Sharp and Paul Bogle and the Maroons were burning down half of the island. Yeah. We're chopping up slave masters, making slavery untenable. We literally destroyed the entire infrastructure to have slavery in Jamaica. It's not a coincidence that it was then abolished a couple of years later. Yeah. So it's... I wish, like you said, it would be wonderful if there was always a peaceful solution and things like clamping can be solved in that way. And there are groups that do things like that, but it needs to be a more sustained campaign. Incidentally, from my understanding, and someone can correct me on this if they hear this when I'm wrong, because I haven't fully fact-checked this, but I was told this by a, a, a traffic a traffic warden in Scotland, that they don't allow private companies in Scotland to um, profit from clamping and oh, tickets. Because really? yeah. basically she didn't give me a ticket. And I was wondering why. I was like, why didn't you give me a ticket? I was in the shop for like 20 minutes yeah. trying to get change and I just got carried away. And she was like, oh, we don't make any money. We don't make commission. There are no private companies up here. And our motivation is to keep traffic 
moving. Yeah. Our motivation isn't to make money. And so I it's think with things motivation. like that, exactly. With things like that, I've seen these people take the cars of a pregnant mother with four children when she's on the school run on the way home because she's got some unpaid tickets. I yeah. mean, to me, how you can have that happening, even for me. And now I, I take it, you know, maybe I'm lucky I can afford to pay the fines or whatever else. I'm not saying I'm rich, but, you know, I'm, I don't have any children and I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've been in a situation where I've got a ticket for 40 quid and I've missed it. I don't know if I'm, I'm crap at opening my letters. Yeah. Six months later, the bloody thing's seven, 800 quid. Yeah. How can something go from 40 pounds to seven? And then bailiff will come and knock on your door and you think, well, this has got to be illegal. You know, the yeah. guy's tried to take my car for a ticket that has started off as 40 pounds. I mean, who gives these people permission to do stuff I'm, like that? I'm, 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 not to go off track, but I'm going for ex exactly the same thing at of the course. moment because I moved recently yeah. and I've just had a letter forwarded on from my old place from a month or two ago saying y you owe 40 pound that's now gone up to two three hundred pounds and i'm saying i don't think that's just no, you know i've, I've not dodged or avoided this i yeah. changed my address and it wasn't put through in some way i've got proof of this so again it's that thing yeah. of i can't I'd, i can't claim that i didn't yeah, know but, but i, I again, literally just don't know my post. it's still injustice <laughs> that, hey, that i would again it's that thing of again it's lucky to be in a, a situation where Again, I'm not wealthy, but you're doing all right. Whatever yeah. happens, I'm yeah, uh, you know I'm doing all right. I would rather go to court to argue that yeah. to make to, to say that I think it's unjust to say that for for no further expense, it's mm. now gone up at, at this much. You know, I mean, there's nothing to justify this extra money. No, Time has passed. Yeah, that's it. Time has passed. Yeah. Therefore, it's, it's, it's like right, in that case, then we can say. Let's forget that time passed and go back to what the original offence was and deal with, you know, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather morally go and argue that and then pay whatever the hell I have to pay than just go, all right, well, because you're scaremongering it and saying mm. bailiffs and all this other shit, it's like, oh, I'll just, I'll put my hands up and say that's acceptable, you know? And it's also, I mean, but back to your question, I suppose, what do we do to change the culture? And I think it is changing. I think this generation, and maybe it's just me being naive, I'm seeing more political activism. I'm yeah. seeing people becoming awake. I'm seeing more interest in history. I'm seeing people realising that actually the situation in the country is getting quite serious. There is a massive push to the right. I mean, I, I read in the news day before yesterday that the Conservatives have just said they're going to build a prison in Jamaica, £25 million, pounds, they're building a prison in Jamaica to send back all of the Jamaican criminals to Jamaica. And because of all the scaremongering, even I thought there were more Jamaican criminals in the UK prisons than there really are. Yeah. You know how many people it is? It's 700 people. That's crazy, right? isn't it? And there are more Irish and yeah. more Polish in Britain's prisons than there are Jamaicans. There are over 10,000 foreign nationals in Britain's prisons. Yeah. This is all according to the Daily Mail. So yeah, this is the most yeah. right-wing statistics yeah, available. Yeah, 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 and course. still they even had to admit, well, why aren't we sending back the Irish? Oh, because we've got a special relationship with them. Why aren't we sending back the Polish? Oh, because their prisons are already full. So I can't help but cynically think, is this the first step towards sending back British-born people of Jamaican origin? Yeah. Because what else could be the motivation for Britain to spend £25 million in a recession, supposedly, on building a prison in a foreign British Commonwealth country? And so I think with this type of uh, George Osborne saying he's going to get rid of free school meals, as someone who grew up on free school meals, yeah, 100%. I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, what you're saying is you want people to starve. Yeah. Because there are literally children in this country through no fault of their own, who are born into families who don't have money, who will not eat if there are no free school meals. Yeah. How do you expect a child to learn if there are no free school meals? What you're saying is you want this child to go on the street. Yeah. Because if I'm not eating breakfast and my only chance for a meal and is at school and school's no longer providing free school meals and I'm hungry and I'm 14, 
what am I going to do at that point? Oh, and the local drug dealer saying, yo, fam, you can make £200 a day, you know? All you've yeah. got to do is X, Y, and Z. If it's a choice between that and not... Oh, is that what we're saying? We're going to... We're actually... They're actually trying to turn poverty in this country I mean, it's, back a hundred years. It's, it's, it's a... It feels like it harks again to our obsession with American culture in many ways. Because yeah, like America. America's had that for so long. Oh, of, always. Of... of, 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 of 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 turning the ghettos into real ghettos. what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was just an area where poor people live. We'll, we'll demonise it enough and put yeah. enough restrictions on that. Yeah, that is now an area that you don't want to go at night because there are drug dealers and there are this and all that. It's like that's not through choice. In in, in many situations, yeah. that's not through choice. That's through the the the, the forcing of circumstance and situation. Onto I'll these. give you a specific example. Compton, probably yeah. the most famous ghetto in America was a middle-class neighbourhood in the 60s. A lot yeah. of people don't know this. That's why it looks so nice. Originally, it was a, a middle-class white neighbourhood. Then loads of black population, socially, upperly mobile black population, started to move in. It became an all-black neighbourhood, still middle-class, because most of the black population in Compton worked at two huge car factories that were in the area. I right. think one was Chrysler, one was Ford. But don't quote me on that part. Of it. Yeah, there were two yeah, huge yeah, car yeah. factories. Everyone worked there. Those car factories closed down. Overnight, Compton went from 80% employment to 80% unemployment. Yeah. And that's when the gangs came in. That's when the poverty... So literally the same people who before were willing to work, willing to work hard, yeah. had nice middle-class lives, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that's, stable neighbourhood, low rates of violence. circumstance. Yeah. You can't put that down to anything right. intrinsic now, in their Yes, character. maybe now people are making choices. Some people get out of the hood, however we want to cut it. The fact is a decision to outsource work to Asia because it was yeah. cheaper because the bottom line made more profit had consequences very real consequences for poor neighbourhoods all across the country and that was part of design policy yeah. even the way they design if you, if you want to find because um, in America poverty is so racialized, if you want to find the black neighbourhood in any American city just look for where the freeway is because yeah. in the 60s during a period called urban renewal aka also known as nigger removal they built motorways over all of the black neighbourhoods so that people didn't have to drive through them so there wouldn't no commerce would be created so the Bronx is like that there's a a freeway that comes from outside in the suburbs into Manhattan in Chicago it's like that in LA it's like that and so you have these kind of isolated islands that are an outcome of policy France has the same and it seems that England will not be satisfied or at least certain factions of the British elite will not be satisfied until we go from being one of the most multicultural one of the most diverse one of the most peaceful major cities of that kind of range of population and range of income and really culturally interesting into an ethnically homogenous uh wealthy with of course its touch of russian uh middle eastern african indian billionaires of course because we'll never get rid of those we're always happy to be multicultural wealth and 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 we want to go on that kind of parisian model again what do we do i believe we use forms of alternative media i believe we we use forms of resistance i believe i mean there's like that i can't remember the was it e15 project the young yeah. mums in East London yeah, 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 yeah. occupied the housing uh, estate there. I believe we engage in efforts like that. I believe uh, from really positive thing I saw, there's these immigration enforcement vans going around, you know, randomly pulling over people and trying to send them, quote unquote, back to where they came from. I saw a really inspiring picture from Shadwell where the local boys had cut the tyres of these vans. I'm not even going to complain about that. I'm not upset by it. I think you have to have forms of resistance that... Are, occupy many different spaces from education to physically being present to marching to organizing yourself in the way you speak daily but i don't think we should give up uh the i don't think we should give up the current gains yeah. limited gains that we have without without any kind of a fight i think it, i think it, it comes 
back to something you said earlier that's great that the the politics is a daily a day-to-day thing and i think around the time of the election you saw far more of these campaigns being supported the Mm -hmm. the the mums and all the different things that were were people being active to 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 show this and then as the election came around it didn't go the way a lot of people wanted quite understandably a lot of people were disheartened and were like oh it's not worked or it's like I think the thing that we was again, another, I think we we're, we're learning to be a politically active society. Yeah. Um and I think one of the essential things to learn is a lot of the times you're not necessarily f- fighting to win. You are fighting because it's something that's worth a f- fighting for. Yeah. You know, the the winning sh- should be an end goal, but you shouldn't go oh the election didn't go the way we want therefore we should stop. It's like right. Well, that means you have to fight all the harder, and there should be more support and more and more actions. Well, I think way. also there wasn't a credible, viable, in my view, progressive alternative in the last election. Yeah. Whereas in Scotland there was, and everyone voted for it. Yeah. So I think now in the UK, with even though I'll never be a supporter of the Labour Party, having someone like Jeremy Corbyn there offering. Such a, I mean, look at the way they're portraying the guy in the media. You'd think yeah. the guy was bloody Adolf Hitler. Yeah. The way they're talking about him, which is fascinating for a guy preaching peace to kind of be put across as this kind of out of touch, slightly crazy, eccentric. It just shows you how out of touch the people who a, are. A, a, a danger to, to, to British community and society. Because he's not it's, willing it's to bomb random what, people around the, the country. Like, what the Prime the Minister has said that he's a, he's a danger. He's a threat to like, national security. It's hilarious, yeah. But, but now it means that there is. Even within the confines, I'm not going to overinflate the degree to which someone within party politics can change a country because I'm, I'm not that naive about the way things work. But there is now something that is qualitatively different in a mainstream yeah. space. Tony Blair and David Cameron, I mean, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, completely. Right? Um, whereas, obviously, someone like Corbyn, unlike David Cameron, who wanted to hang Nelson Mandela, I do believe, Jeremy Corbyn was an active anti-apartheid activist yeah. in the 80s. He has a good record of being progressive in many ways. And again, I don't support the Labour Party, but I understand now that what we can see is the manifestation in party political terms of, of that alternative idea. That doesn't mean people should just give up and just go and vote for the guy that they like. You still have to organise. You still have to be educated. You still have to continually, if what you believe in is a freer, fairer, uh, more caring, more loving society. That's something you have to try and practice on a daily basis and push forward on a daily basis. Because the people who want everything for themselves are going to continually fight for it on a daily basis. Yeah, completely. I mean, how do you feel then um, to play? No, not even devil's advocate here. Yeah, with with a great arising of a genuine choice on the left that is different from yeah. the other parties. With Corbyn, with with with, with numerous others. In that case. My argument has always been: I think that UKIP are the the biggest bunch of. I'm not an edge. I, I, yeah. I don't want to start throwing names about, yeah. but I feel I feel most of their points. If you if you discuss them and have facts there, yeah. they can be broken down. They're a indefensible. Lot. So, yeah. so again, I, I, yeah. But equally, I feel if there's a percentage of of society that thinks that way then they need to be represented in this in this argument in this fight for power mm-hmm. and they're as important even though yeah i might it, disagree it, with it, them but if that's even how though they feel, if i had an option right to, to say they're gone they're gone the fact is there's there's a portion well, yeah, of yeah democracy society doesn't mean you get your that, weight all the time exactly yeah. and that's the thing that i think people i'm 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 personally and again i don't talk about my political beliefs too much because i feel they can be a hugely personal thing you know, I'm not Russell Brand. I don't feel I love Russell, yeah. but I don't yeah. feel an urge to 
convince everyone of my way of thinking. Yeah. My, my problem is I don't support our current form of democracy. Yeah. And I, I the, thing, the thing that was ironic to me in many ways of a lot of my left-leaning friends in the last election mm-hmm. where they were all hugely excited, but then when they didn't get their way, working within the current form of democracy, they all, to say, th- 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 threw their toys out the pram is, 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 is almost incendiary, but they were all very unhappy. It's like, well... The whole premise me, is For me, you should have had that anger... Before it, yeah, you can't I, get angry I, I, just because it didn't go the way yeah. you wanted. It's it's fine, and because I am, it's fine to be against our current democratic system, our forms of voting, our representation, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it it irks me somewhat when you're happy to go along in that when you thought you might get your way, but then when you don't get your way, you're then angry about it. It should be a thing that you should remain angry about. This yeah. shouldn't be a, a oh shit, the Tories are in. Therefore, it's all it's yeah, all I mean, unfair. I mean, it's like, no, it was unfair unfair before they won. It would have been unfair if if it had gone far more away that supports my beliefs. It's still, in yeah, my I mean, opinion, I mean, would have I been mean, a bad system. I mean, we 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 of course, I, I think all of that's. I mean, all of that's accurate. And how do we work to change that? I don't have the answer. What I do know is there are many things we can do that are within our power to win small victories. Yeah, it's like almost people. Some people are so simplistic that you have revolution or reform. Yeah, and the truth is. In between, you can reform to a point where a group of progressive people have such an amount of power and a stake in society that they can influence certain things. Now, obviously, revolutions happen throughout history, but they don't come out of the blue. They come out of particular sets of progress uh, processes. You can't just manufacture said, a revolution. Small out of, victories along yeah. the way to build up this. Uh, the and are uh, they the small? only I mean, times a revolution will work is when there's been a learning curve. To get there, there's exactly a, a great a, building a quote of consciousness. From the Battle of Algiers, Algiers is um, it's 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 hard to start a revolution, harder still to, uh, to win a revolution. Um, no, sorry, sorry, hard to start a revolution, harder still to sustain a revolution, hardest of all to win a revolution. Exactly. But it's only uh, once we've won that the, the real struggle begins. Because that's the thing, and we saw that with the Arab Springs uprisings, all these kind of things, where so many uh, dictatorships are things were overthrown but then there wasn't a structure or plan to move on after that and corruption would come in and and extremism would come in and all these different things where there was this exciting uprising of the people to suddenly go shit i don't we don't know what to do now do you know what i mean then that can then be exploited by the west by you know by all sorts of of different well uh, it's it's funny because being somewhere like zimbabwe Despite what people say, the country is far from one of the worst countries in Africa. It's far from one of the most violent. Jamaica's way more violent. Everyone loves to go there on holiday. Yeah. I don't want to give the impression that Zimbabwe is a specifically problematic country because it isn't. Like any post-colonial nation, it has its problems. But why it relates to this point is exactly that. Zimbabwe gets its independence in 1980 after military struggle. You know, it has years of kind of facilitating between being having a great relationship with Britain, which it actually had up until 1997 and the land reform. And now it's sort of in a position where it is finding its feet and finding how does it move forward now that the revolution's been won. And even though this is 35 years later, it's a 35-year-old country, it's still facing that challenge as many nations in Africa and Latin America and Asia are because running a country is not easy. I'll give the British elite their due in this sense. As much as I may disagree with a lot of their policies, a lot of the way they view the world... There are a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. 
And when I look and, at... And they've been bred to know no, how they're, to they're, run a country. They're a and bunch it's, of it's, clever it's, individuals. It's, it's, it's one of the yeah, great yeah. contradictions I have with Blair is I maintain he was a fantastic politician. I don't think that doesn't was, mean he was, I don't a, nice think he was a good yeah. human. Yeah, I don't think he was a good yeah, prime minister, but he was yeah, a, he's one yeah, of absolutely. the best pure absolutely. politicians that we've had in, in British politics. Absolutely. And I would say the same for Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Despite people thinking that I should support Obama just because he's half African. Yeah. Um, Obama is a fantastic politician. I don't think he's a fantastic human. I look at his record on speaking about police brutality in America, which has been very obvious. Yeah. I look at the fact that he was willing to bomb an African country. I look at the fact that he continued most of Bush's wars. I judge the man on what he actually did, not what he said he was going to do before he came in. And I didn't get happy just because his dad's black. I look at what actually happened. But he is a brilliant politician. Say, he's an incredibly intelligent man. He's very charismatic. Let's talk a little on yeah. Obama then. Is is your view changing at all? Because I, uh, until a year or two ago, I would com- completely agree with you. It felt like Obama came in with all these promises and all these ideas and then just fell into line like everything else. And it's only a theory, but it feels like now he spent his first term playing the game. Do you know what I mean? The the fact is, no one in the way both of our political systems are are set up, unless you're a dictator overthrowing another dictator, then it's almost impossible to come in and have complete huge change. It has to be a gradual thing. So it feels that Obama, and again, it may be to an unforgivable extent. I'm not deciding on it yet. It feels that Obama came in and appeased a lot of people that were primarily against things he believed. But it now feels like he's in his his final term, almost they can't touch him now, that he's making those moves with, with game gay marriage with with the confederate flag with again just this week i mean this will be going out a few weeks later but genuinely being one of the first to start to bring up the gun debate the 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 arms debate and things like that and it feels that where i spent the first four years going Hmm. fuck this guy he's not he's not Hmm. doing anything i now look at it and go well the next a, a year or so I will tell this, but it could be a case that he's played this game really well of spending a few years to to gain his to or to back up his power, if you know what I mean. Because yeah, it's well, crazy to think that the role of president of the United States of America mm. isn't actually that powerful position. There's a lot of people behind that, completely. so it feels that maybe he's just, he's built his power up there by getting the right people on side or changing things out, you know, moving things around slightly, and now he's able to go. Right, we're changing the game, game marriage law. His his speech after, I mean, it was three three shootings ago, and now I think, but his speech after it was one of one the this shoot- week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, his speech after one of them blew me away because it didn't feel like, and I'm sure it was, but it didn't feel like a president making a written statement. He kind of stood there and said, "This is the eighth time I've had to to do this this year." Kind of, and said like. At some point, we're going to have to admit that we're not doing it right. At some point, we're going to have to look at Australia and look at Portugal and look at other countries and go, we're not doing it right. You know. Well, so what's your feelings on him at this point well, or me, on the potential for, of him? For me, I think that he's obviously an incredibly intelligent man. Yeah. And for a man of his level of education to want to be the president of the United States of America, knowing everything that that entails, mm. knowing that that obviously entails overseeing murder, knowing that that entails deciding who dies and lives, knowing that entails knowing certain amounts about the world and not revealing it to the public, knowing all the things that come with occupying that office, I think takes a certain type of human to even be able to do that. And I'm not not passing a a judgment on that because 
I've never been in that world. I wasn't educated at Harvard. I've never had the desire to lead a country in the current forms that countries are operated. Yeah. I'm fairly sure if I actually had to be the Prime Minister of Britain or the President of America or even the leader of a revolutionary uh, Pan-African nation, I'd still have to make some pretty shit decisions. I was going to say, I mean, obviously we're saying that as as uh, it takes a, a certain kind of person to be able to, to do that. I think that can be a positive and a negative there because no, sure. I have people a lot say... Again, it's when I was doing a lot more political stuff, saying, "Why aren't you running for office?" I don't think so. it's like it's because those are jobs that that's the last thing I would would yeah, I want it's, to it's, do because it's, it's such an position. ugly thing. It's something that yeah. doesn't appeal to me in any way, yeah. shape, or form. So certainly not in its current format. Yeah, but I think for 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 Obama, I think he, he, I mean it, he was never going to come in, as you said, and be able to change America from a historically racist, classist, I mean, imperialist even more power. So as the first black exactly. president Into, to make in, huge changes then. But it's so tough. But I don't know, and only he can answer this because only he's in his own soul, in his own head. I am very doubtful, to be honest with you, despite all the rhetoric, that that was his genuine aim. I feel that he's yeah. he's what we describe as centre right. Yeah. He's not Donald Trump. Yeah. He's not Ben Carson. He's not even George Bush. He's not as crazy as those people. Fine. But he believes inherently in the justice of America. He believes in American exceptionalism. He believes to some degree, whether he realises or not, then as an extension of that in the superiority of white people. What do I mean by that? America was founded on that assumption. If we believe America is so exceptional and so wonderful, there is that idea underpinning that a little bit. Yeah. He believes in America's right to police the world. Um, and so he's not in line with what I believe about the way the world should run and the way things should be. Does that mean he's an inherently evil, insane, you know, psychopath? No. And uh, does that mean everything he's going to do is bad? No. He's tried to do the Obamacare thing, as you said, with gay marriage, as you said, around the fringes of things. There's been some room for manoeuvre that he's tried to leave some degree of a positive legacy. Yeah. Um, and people will judge him on that. But for me, and the way I would want to see that country move and the way I'd want to see the world move, even when there was all the euphoria. Anyone who knew me in 2008 will tell you. I was in Atlanta in 2008, and I was arguing with my cousins week in, week out. My American cousins were saying, no, you don't understand. It's been a groundswell from the people. He's going to do this. He's gonna... I was like, dude, just say that the guy's half black, and that's why you're excited. And yeah. I'm fine with that. I get yeah. that. Like, I get it. You had segregation in your dad's lifetime. But to believe that him being half black means he's going to magically transform the entire society is really politically naive. But for me, what was unforgivable with Obama, just for me personally, not for anyone else, is to continue the wars that he's continued and then to be the president that oversaw NATO's bombing of Libya. Yeah. For, for, for me, there's something really symbolically weird about the first African president deciding to bomb an African country and support people. I mean, we saw how they behaved. They sodomized the head of state with a knife yeah. in public. They didn't put him on trial and provide evidence and say, this is why we dislike the guy and this is why he's going to jail or even this is why we're going to kill him. They behaved in a very vicious, disgraceful manner. They then stole the weapons that they stole is part of what's causing the, the spread of terrorism across West Africa right now. They stole weapons from Gaddafi's cachet. So the consequences of the invasion of Libya, apart from destroying that country and creating the migrant crisis, have let terrorism spread all across Western Africa, wreaked all kind of havoc. And for me, whatever he does in America, however nice his legacy may or may not be for American people, that on, on the global, foreign policy yeah. fuck-up, <clears throat> if it was even that, 
for me is is personally unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, I get. And that. him being quite sense. handsome and having a lovely wife and a great <clears> family, <throat> and being you know half Kenyan doesn't make that forgivable for me. It's, um, and I if mean, he was a white guy, I'd, ironically, I will say this: if he was a white guy, I think we'd see that symbolically much worse. If George Bush or Bill Clinton... Had done that stuff. Well, Bill Clinton did bomb Sudan. Though yeah. still a lot of people loved him because he was charismatic and he played saxophone. Yeah. But I think it would be easier for black people particularly to be like, hold on a minute, that's an African country, all right. Albeit an, an Arab-speaking African country, so people may not feel as connected to it as they do to Ghana. But there's something for me very symbolic about, about that happening that, that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely understand that. And it's, <clears throat> it's really interesting how, again, you point out there that charisma and certain associations I mean, like for that... for a politician, he's a very good-looking dude. Can, can, and that does change. help, whether you like it or I not. I couldn't agree not. more. The, 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 the fact that he's of African descent, the yep. fact... I genuinely think... And again... I was I was someone who was sitting there going, that's that's pretty cool. When yeah, he course. came out and said that he liked his his favourite ever TV character was Omar f- 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 from The Wire. I was like, you just think that's a cool dude. Dude's fucking cool. He's he's played, he seems out right. green. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I so, get yeah, it. Charisma, charisma plays a huge role in our in our attraction to people, and there's no doubting he's a very brilliant <clears throat> man. No one's yeah. doubting he's a, an educated, charismatic, as I said, you know, for a politician, good looking, smooth great speaker all, and I don't mean that in the way that when people say patronisingly he's a black guy and he speaks well I mean full stop on any level for any group of people Man, yeah, he, he is can, a he can perform right, he's a performer yeah. he's mesmerising no one's denying all those things for me I would love to have seen someone of that range of talents put that range of services to their community for justice the way that Martin Luther King did the way that Malcolm X did that isn't possible for Obama and that's fine um, but for me he won't go on the wall with those people because I think as president of America that is just impossible yeah. and I think as president of most countries I think even if we look at Mandela for all the fantastic sacrifice that Mandela made in the struggle against apartheid his tenure as president of South Africa he had to make some pretty horrific decisions he had to make the decision to maintain basically an apartheid economy but political apartheid decolonization because at that point he thought that was the best he could hope for maybe and the legacy of that has been what an anc government shooting dead 34 32 miners at Makinara in 2012 you know striking miners you know they could never get away with shooting 32 white people without international outcry so you have this legacy where the same brutality is woven into the system that's not i'm not laying that at mandela's doorstep what i'm saying is even the greatest humanitarian i met mandela actually yeah. i haven't spoke about this before oh, in wow. an interview i don't know why i went to his house in 2001 so my sister performed at one of his four triple six four concerts oh, back wow. then and i went uh, we went to his house there's a big banquet i mean yeah. he offered my sister one of his wives uh, one of his <laughs> wives why did i say one of his wives he offered my sister one of his grandsons to marry Amazing. as a joke yeah. but you know even just meeting the guy to meet someone who's done that amount of time in jail that still has so much love and empathy for other human beings and he's very charismatic really tall guy a lot of people don't realize that. he used to be a boxer oh, really? massive guy i mean he's that like, must be six four six five um and just had so much, exuded so much charisma, confidence, brilliance, love, all of that, despite everything he'd been through. Very inspiring guy. Even for someone like him, being a runner of a country, and this is what I, I get like, less idealistic as I get older. One in a country is incredibly difficult. I'll give yeah. another, one, one more example. If we take Toussaint Louverture, Toussaint Louverture was the leader of the Haitian Revolution, the only successful slave revolution in the history of humanity. And even he, when he had won the island from the French, maintained basically a semi-slave economy. Just this time, the enslaved people got wages. 
because yeah. he felt that pragmatically it wasn't possible at that point to just say, well, all these people have done all this awful stuff, slave masters talking about, let's just kick them off the island. He felt pragmatically to run a country, he still needed those people. They had yeah. the qualifications, they could run the plantations, etc. So he said, cool, you've just got to pay the people now. And obviously the enslaved people were like, what do you mean? We're not working for these same people who've been torturing us for hundreds of years. And he had to try and balance all those forces, even as someone who'd been an enslaved person himself. Yeah. Because politics is fucking complicated. I mean, or, or, I mean, politics and I think the way we are a lot as, 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 as humans, mm, I think there's sure. often, we're looking, when we talk of equality, we're looking up rather than around or down. So, yeah, sure. so, so we're looking if you up we, there need to deliver these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, if we're speaking of a, a, equality in the UK, for example. So many people would want that and support that. If it was then explained that that equality meant you can't have that widescreen TV and your nice car. Yeah. If if the equality is a step down, that suddenly we're like, oh shit! It's when we're looking at those Absolutely. above us who are all, all wealthy. Absolutely. It's similar with as 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 asked to have um or I was, I was talking about about having amazon as a sponsor on the podcast at one point mm. and we didn't c- 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 go for it in the end but someone said to me oh you couldn't do that because of their their tax uh, situations and i'm not against companies who dodge tax i'm against the loopholes that allow them to do though and the political uh, allow them to do so mm. and the political setups that allow them to do so because because the fact is when i was working in factories if i could get some some cash and hand work and avoid tax, I would. This yeah, is, I think just because they're doing it's, it on a bigger it's, scale. It's a natural thing, so it's always that thing of, of looking up. If, if, if we're looking up and saying, we need to stop these companies dodging yeah. tax on this huge scale, it's like, well, that's okay as long as you are willing to never do that as well. I think it's, it's a natural thing to want to cut corners or, or, or whatever well, else. But, also it's whether you be- there. but it's also whether you believe in who you're paying tax to. Yeah. If yeah, I lived in a country where I genuinely believed in the principles of my government... Yeah. I'd queue up to pay my tax. Yeah, yeah. Like if really, if I if I lived in a country that was a progressive, socialist leaning, pan African government committed to you know the unity of humanity, but obviously the defeating of racism and sexism and classism. Yeah. I lived in Thomas Sankara's Burkina Faso. Yeah. As hard as that would have been for me, you know, I'd, I'd, I mean, this is a guy for those who don't know about Thomas Sankara. This is a guy who so refused to be corrupted that he traded in all of the government vehicles for shitty little Renault Clios. Amazing. I mean, can you imagine in the, the elite yeah. of a post-colonial African society going to parliament in, I mean, miniature Renault Clios? Yeah, yeah, that's he, amazing. He was one of the first openly feminist uh, leaders of any country in the world as a man. Yeah. Um, tried to re- he instituted a thing called Women's Day where men had to do all the housework, cooking, the cleaning, yeah. do all the traditionally kind of female jobs, had women in the army, you know, done so much to balance up the country. He was obviously killed because the leader of that, uh, he was killed by a, a French puppet called Blaise Compare who stayed in power until right. last year. It was only taken out of power last year. Um, and so I think if you're in a country that you believe in, and I don't even say that just for progressive people. Yeah. If I was an Etonian educated Oxbridge graduate, to be honest with you, if you believed I'd, in it, I'd probably think Britain was the most infallible, most fantastic. And, yeah. and and to be honest, I can't even be judgmental of people in that. If that's what you're born into, for you, this Why is absolutely fantastic. Even that, for yeah. me, right, as a person of Jamaican origin, I wasn't even born in Jamaica. Yeah. Despite the horrific violence, despite the homophobia, despite the shortcomings, there are elements of Jamaican culture I'm extremely proud of. Yeah. And it's the same even with the UK. It's just the arrogance to get someone else. No one's saying Britain doesn't have anything to be proud of. If we talk about Shakespeare or Isaac Newton or elements of the Industrial Revolution or the progressive traditions I spoke about earlier, this history of poetry. There are so many things, even if I think about when we say small victories, it's not even a small victory. When we think about how accessible much of this city is now 
And there's still a lot of work to be done, so I don't want anyone to, 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 to say, think that I'm saying it's all done. But the fact that this country is now so much more accessible to disabled people. Yeah. It's abnormal to get on a bus or go in a public place where there's not a disabled toilet, where there's not a platform. Something yeah, I, as an true. able-bodied person, wouldn't even have thought about. Yeah. So there are many ways in which a country is not one thing. Just because there are structural ideas of classism and racism doesn't mean there can't be elements that transcend them. And to me, I think you can be proud of your country and also critical. And this is one of the things I think a lot, of, a lot of particularly right people on the right are, are, are not very good at. They think that, you know, people often say to me, and this obviously it's just silly people being racist, but they're like, if you fucking hate it so much, why don't you go home, wherever home's supposed to be? I mean, I was born here. Yeah, yeah. What they really mean is, I don't believe in democracy for you. Yeah. So you're not allowed to be critical of the government. You know, other people are, but you're not. You should just be grateful to be here. And I find that ironic because Peter Tosh and Bob Marley spent most of their life criticising the Jamaican government and criticising the shortcomings of Jamaican politics. Did that mean, by extension, that they hated Jamaica? Exactly. Of course not. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the key to, again, <laughs> it, mm. it, it, it keeps going in circles, but it goes back to that of it being okay to question your own... your own Still be proud of and your yourself. country. And, and yourself. yourself. But, yeah. Um, well, I mean... Uh, I've, I've I've lost where I was, was going to dr- a, a, a drift back to, but, but yeah, I mean, Maybe, I don't com- know, music, completely that is art. Yeah, we should life. get to music. Yeah, we've done. We've done I think I feel, I feel like we've put the world to rights. We've we've almost. What are you listening to at the moment? Anything? Um, anything I'm listening. Oh no, that's the one, if you, if the one thing I wanted to get. In. I've, 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 right. I've pulled it back now. Go ahead. Just right. just when you were speaking of of you'd have more passion. To, to pay tax to, in, into a system that you believed. Or yeah, to not that money. I don't pay my taxes, because yeah, obviously, obviously, obviously do. I don't need to, to get prison. that clear on there. Yeah, but, um, yeah of course. <laughs> it, it made me think of... I'd, yeah. I'd kill a mic on the podcast, yeah. and he sp- was saying some stuff that I'd never even considered, because we talked about the responsibility of rappers and people that are, are coming from a certain atmosphere or scene or society and marketing themselves off that to then put back into that site or help. If you're marketing and yourself off the ghetto, you owe the ghetto. The great thing that Killer Mike was saying is like, I ain't talking about a charity. He's like, I've opened a chain of barbershops now. I've got mm-hmm. three barbershops. I'm still being an entrepreneur. I'm still making money, mm-hmm. but I'm employing locally. Exactly. I'm building things that are in my community. Exactly. And when I get my merch done, I get it made locally. You know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's that, th- that thing of, it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be this responsibility to be a nice guy. It's like, still go out and be a baller. But but do it in a way that benefits your specific yeah. and area in society, fair. right? Well, this is the thing. As I, was, I was having this argument with someone the other day. We, we tend to, and I don't want anyone to take this as me saying capitalism is the final and best system of human governance, because of course that's not what I think. But I was saying we sometimes scapegoat capitalism in a way that is naive. What do I mean by that? We, ex- we use capitalism to excuse human greed and human wankerishness. Yeah. There is no reason why a company that makes 14 billion profit a year can't say, you know, we're just going to make 12 and we're going to pay our workers well and we're not going to have any worker suicide. Yeah. There's no reason for that. That isn't capitalism. That's psychopathy. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's my thing. More. Even, I've, I've got n- yeah. no issue with someone having slightly nicer stuff than me because they work harder than me. And yeah. uh, tell them, I mean, yeah. that's fine. If I choose to not do tell me yeah. that l- level, yeah. it's, not, it's not that structure as, as such that is the problem it's then again the corruption yeah. of it the over greed the over it's a particular i mean system. even if we look at say scandinavia and japan versus britain and america and to an increasing degree parts of europe we're talking about even within capitalism there's neoliberal capitalism mm-hmm. there's imperialist capitalism mm-hmm. and then there's what you have in scandinavia which is 
kind of socialist leaning, relatively socially engineering, relative equality, and the same in Japan. And no, no coincidence, those countries have the lowest crime rates, high spread of wealth. They also have pretty high suicide, but I hate people say that's because of the weather. Yeah. I suppose the point I'm making is, whatever the system is, you don't have to be a total wanker, even yeah. if you're successful. You can pay your workers fairly. You can still make a profit. Like people choose not to do those things because they're insanely greedy. Yeah. Not because because not every company. It's, it's operates easy to well. find examples of why these things are bad. Yeah. Whereas ignoring again, Hitler came to power under a democracy. Of course. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, exactly. so, so, so saying that democracy is the way and every other version Everything of he did was democracy is, is wrong. Yeah. It's like, he was no, yeah. there's there's times where communism is bad. There's there's elements of communism that is fucking amazing. Absolutely. You know, there's really... But, but because uh, they're, they're the Russian evil at that point, it's of like course. communism's evil. Yeah. And it's, it's like, no, there's many different systems that could work. And that's what annoys me and was annoying me during the election was no, everyone was discussing... From the few options, yes. rather than what? what if we think outside of, of democracy? And again, I'm not saying that's an easy thing, but there's even just different kinds of, of democracy. If you look at like Athenian democracy and all sorts yeah. of other things, or India, yeah, which has some... like seven million parties. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. even Aust- even Australia, when yeah. it suddenly had their kind of it was split, and they had to divide everything up and have a. a, a a, a shared government, essentially. Yeah, that that causes some problems. But again, these are options that are available and should be a viable thing. I, I think this arrogant kind of attitude that we have the answer because we're quote-unquote Great Britain and we know everything, yeah. we're going to really get bitten in the arse in the 21st century. Yeah, We live in a world where China is returning to its position. Everyone talks about the rise of China. For 17 of the last 20 centuries, China was the richest, most technologically developed country in the world. All that's happening is business as usual. Yeah. It's not the rise of China. It's the return of an ancient superpower that has been a nation for two and a half thousand years. Completely. Get used to it, go and learn some Mandarin. So this idea that we're so special is a very dangerous idea. And in many ways, actually, the, the irony of it and the com- comedy of it is for the same elite that think they can keep perpetuating this idea. I want to see how they're going to do that and manage it with the fact that the money is increasingly going to be in Asia. The fact where they're gonna increasingly realize... going to have to learn to do business with people who look different yeah. from them as equals. But we're going to realise... The size of our island, yeah, are, are very soon, and 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 the fact is that because of the way we stretched out, because of some t- t- technology advances or, or industrial advances mm-hmm. and things yep. like that, we were allowed to be or we were able to be far bigger than 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 we necessarily are. Yeah. And but the fact is, we're getting to a point now where the world is starting to come down to how much space you've got and how many people you've got as well yeah. that's that, that's starting that's going to start to influence the the, the power um, yeah, but already the world we're we gonna live in we're is, gonna have to learn that yeah, the world we live in is unrecognizable from the world i was born in yeah i was born in a world where a few countries on the earth still practiced form apartheid none yeah. well arguably one does but generally or two you could say no many actually practice apartheid against women but that's another discussion yeah sure um but obviously you have the Israel-Palestine conflict, you have what's going on in South Africa, which is formal, but what I'm saying is, which is informal, what I'm saying is even to when I was born, my younger brother is now doing Mandarin, GCSE. That's crazy, isn't it? Right? That was unimaginable in 1983. And so I think that for me, the way the world's going to change over the next you know, 30 or 40 years, the countries that are going to do best, the space, human spaces that are going to do best are going to be those that are that 
most open-minded and most prepared to adapt to change. And what I see in many ways, I don't know if it's something to even be depressed about, what I see is a kind of ossified old boy Oxbridge attitude that for now, as long as Britain still has power and as long as Britain's still one of the most wealthy, most militarily capable countries in the world and as long as we're still America's, I don't know if, if partner's even the right word, that arrogance can continue. But actually, there's a more innovative way of approaching the world and there's a more innovative way of approaching debate, even if I was watching Question Time last night. And every time I watch, they've asked me to be on a few times, it's never been the right subject, right? But every I've, time had I watch, same. I've had the yeah. same. I've, I've talked my way out of Question yeah. Time numerous times. But it's like, no, this isn't. It's like the, the, the parameters of debate, as you were saying earlier, have already been set. And it's yeah. like someone needs to go on there and just come out of the parameters completely and say, hold on a minute, all of the basic assumptions that left, right and centre are all agreed upon on this is, might not even be correct. Yeah. Right, all of these yeah. things. About fifty times last night, people mentioned Russia and the nuclear threat, and and no one said. But hold on a minute, which is the only country on earth to use nuclear weapons on human beings? Is it Russia or is it our ally? Yeah. Now, does that mean that you know this uh, kind of history of geopolitics in Britain and Europe and the way in which Russia and Germany and France and Britain have contested power on this uh, small? peninsula of a continent over the past you know five six hundred years isn't something to bear in mind and the legacy of that no but the fact is only one country on earth has ever used nuclear weapons on people and that's america yeah and so if any country on earth should not be allowed nuclear bombs it should be the country that currently has the most and again it's 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 it's, it's the backwards argument of, of they say oh the nuclear deterrent um but the fact is they say we'd only use nuclear bombs if something was used against us or we were under threat. It's like, well... You wouldn't be able someone, to. It, number one, you wouldn't be able to. But number two, it would have it would prove that the nuclear deterrent hasn't worked. So your theory of it, of we need to keep them for a nuclear deterrent means that the, the only time we'd use them is when the deterrent hasn't worked anyway. So it's a backwards... People might be surprised by me saying this. But ironically... Now that the world has got to the stage where nuclear weapons exist, mm -hmm. I wonder if the only way we're actually going to get peace, ironically, is when loads of different... I mean, people spoke yesterday about nuclear deterrent. I mean, Pakistan gets droned pretty often, right? And yeah. they, don't, they have nuclear bombs. But the... Because someone mentioned on it yesterday, oh, Ukraine got rid of their nuclear bombs and look what happened. Well, I was like, Pakistan has nuclear bombs. They still get droned. But are we going to approach a stage in world affairs where there'll be six or seven huge power blocks, all economically capable, all with huge militaries, all with nuclear weapons. And ironically, even though the intention was never for peace for all of that, that there'll be so much rivalry and the blocks will be so huge and there'll be so much mutually assured destruction that that will be the closest we'll get to some form of peace. As, as kind of morbid as that sounds, mm. that seems more likely from where we're stood than actual genuine revolutionary you know, love and peace yeah, in the world. Yeah. If Latin America and Africa, for example, you know, and particularly for Africa and, and parts of Asia, were more economically developed, were militarily stronger, had nuclear weapons to defend themselves, things like Libya might not have happened. I don't know. But there would be a different attitude towards those nations. And would that... Adam Smith, ironically, who I don't agree with on a lot of things, as you can imagine, this was one of the things he talked about. Right. Saying that a, a point, he believed a point in history was going to come where even the savage nations, I believe was the word he used, will develop to such a stage that a natural equilibrium will be found. And in some ways, that's what we're seeing between America and China. Yeah. We're seeing two nations that are so interdependent, that are so colossal, that have so much influence over the globe, neither of whom can afford war with one another, I would hope. Though, obviously, America's talking about its pivot to Asia, Japan's rearming. There's all this kind of danger going on that suggests a conflict might come. Hopefully it will not. 
And will it be that the relative peace that humanity gets might just come out of actually the very same power-hungry lunatics around the world just all getting to such a point where they don't, where no one group has the power to dominate the other. And of course... No one can outmuscle anyone. I don't know. It's a tough one. I don't know. It's a tough one when Britain and America exist and our, our, our great histories are based on an illusion of superiority. Of course. So I'd be shocked if there was a point where together we didn't we ever thought that we were everyone was on a level but if, you know if what, I mean? what, I'm, what, I'm, what i mean is if kind of the anglo-american empire's continuation means the destruction of all of humanity what is then the scenario are there people that are that crazy they'd rather destroy the whole earth than exist in a multipolar world maybe yeah, i'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, even saying yeah, that's yeah. impossible yeah it is possible we have the technology to destroy everything ever created on this planet Maybe that's what we'll do. It's, cr- it's crazy that that's something that humans created, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. That humans have sat down yeah. at some point and m- given ourselves the ability to destroy every l- living thing yeah, on the planet. That's the way we've used some of the best minds. That's ever, something ever that we've done. That's yeah. something that we've sat down and decided, yeah. here's, here's, yeah, here's a good idea. So I, I don't know what the future holds. I hope that to some degree or other, there is a multipolar world. I hope that Africa and Asia and Latin America. Uh, develop to a point where they can no longer be bullied and have their resources taken cheaply and where uh, they can be protected. But then that won't solve all the exploitation in the world. There'll still be classism. There'll still be sexism. There'll still be forms of injustice and expropriation. We might just have got rid of the biggest global forms of imperialism, but that doesn't mean we're going to click our fingers and everything's going to be wonderful because I haven't spotted any point in the last 5,000 years of history that I've been studying for quite a while where there was a class-free, perfect non-hierarchical, technologically developed, materially rich society. Yeah. I'm yet to find that. Will, will it ever exist? I don't have the answer. I, I'd like to hope and dream, and maybe it will always maintain, be a hope, a, a fleeting illusion that we chase. But yeah. at least in the chasing of that, we might manage society a little it's, better. It's the chasing of that, and uh, uh, not that I'd s- s- subject to the idea of, of fantasism, but it feels that a lot of the solutions to big problems in the past have turned out to be things that we had no concept of mm. 10 years before. The speed at which we are evolving Learned, yeah, for sure. t- 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 technologically, mm. there could be s- solutions that aren't even f- fathomable at this stage. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's a good chance not. I mean, we're almost at, yeah. at, at, at 90 minutes and mm-hmm. we've not touched up on mu- music, so I'm going to happily go over and get into some... Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about your kind of your musical up, up, upbringing. You're getting into music. You touched upon um, travelling out and meeting... And, and Nelson Mandela with your a sister, for anyone who doesn't know, your sister is, is Miss yeah, Dynamite, who yeah, smashed it for, or has, has, has been smashing it for yeah. many, many years. Yeah. Was there, were you both always into music and coming up in creating together, or was there a certain amount of um, inspiration from your sister? Well, what happened stuff? was, so when we were really young, we, uh, and I mean really young, like eight, nine, yeah. ten, that sort of age. She's older than me, two years older than me. We, my stepdad ran a, the Hackney Empire Theatre, he was the stage manager there. Oh, wow. My real dad was a sound system DJ. And so every year, we, like, I mean, people know this probably from my music. We, you know, we didn't have a whole load of money growing up. So we used to put on shows for my mum every year on her birthday. Yeah. Her birthday's in June. And so through doing that, we would put on like acting, rapping, dancing, singing shows. Believe it or not, I used to try and sing. I'm a bloody awful singer. <laughs> I used to try and dance. I'm a bloody awful dancer now. I used to be an amazing dancer when I was a kid. I don't Brilliant. know what happened. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of came into performing arts, even though we were f- 
physically and economically quite poor. Culturally, we were quite rich. We yeah. spent five days a week in the Hackney Empire. This was at a time when there was fantastic programming on there. Um, it was easily Britain's best kind of African-Caribbean-led theatre in that period. I saw Angela Davis there. I saw Kairos One lecture there when I was a kid. Amazing. I saw all these, I saw Sarafina, a fantastic player about yeah. apartheid, come there. Um, you know, so I was really exposed to a lot. And so growing up, uh, Naya, as she is to me, my, my older sister, didn't... She was pursuing singing, but I don't know if that's what she wanted to do full-time quite yet. Then she started emceeing on uh, Raw FM, Underground Garage... Uh, Station. Yeah, I was always yeah. rapping. Yeah. And I was playing for West Ham at the time. I played football uh, for four years. Oh, wow. And um, I played football for longer than four years, but I was at West, yeah, uh, yeah. West Ham for four years. And then Boo came out and it just, it just, it just changed. Even when I first heard it, I yeah. remember hearing the first unmixed version on a dub plate in Camden Palace. And even as an unmixed, weird sounding, the mix was all wrong, the test press was all wrong, you still just knew that yeah, something yeah, weird yeah, yeah. Had, been, had been created. And then obviously I was with her going around the country as like you know semi-bodyguard status with our managers who were kind of not managers they were kind of man them from the ends who had taken yeah. up as manager and yeah, you know yeah, they did yeah. what they could do um and we just went the around manager the manager role was a, gr- a, a great nondescript one yeah, to bring it's in just, it's yeah, like what do you do? i'm just i'm managing I'm, yeah. I'm managing all right yeah. just don't don't, don't question so we just went around the country you know i went around the country with her watching boo explode Obviously, I was there when, you know, she won Mercury and the Brits and Mobo and all that. And it was inspiring, but it was also a lesson for me. You know, I was 17 when I went to the MTV Awards in Barcelona. And I went to Puff Daddy's after party. And very early, I realised this world isn't for me. Right. You know, I saw all these kind of celebrities on all kinds of drugs. You know, I won't name no names, but, you know, I saw all kinds of madness. And I was just like, well, I realised very early, even at 17, I wasn't impressed by the glitz and the glamour, which was a strange thing to learn of, you, of yourself yeah. that age. Don't get me wrong, I mean, I'd been around, it's funny because even though I grew up poor, I'd been around a bit of money and a few of my friends were footballers, a few of my friends were not footballers but had money, you know, yeah. they, they were into the, the wrong stuff. So at 15 and 16, I'd been in Range Rovers and BMW convertibles and Mercs this and Mercs that. I'd been in the club around champagne and blah, blah, blah and showing off. I had a 500 pound Averix coat, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying I was a baller because I wasn't that yeah, either, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'd yeah, been yeah. around people that had lots even if they were still kind of didn't have lots and they lived at home with their mum. Yeah. Um, and then obviously what happened with my sister happened, but it made me realise I wanted to do things differently and I wanted to try and build a business that was based on, and a, a music career that was not based on doing as I was told by a record label. And in many ways, my sister inspired that because at 19 years old, when she finished her first album and the label told her Miss Dynamite had to be the first single, she just told them, no fucking way. I want it, it takes more to be the first single. Yeah. I want to come out with a song that's about something. It means yeah, yeah, the label yeah. didn't want to do it. She's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not filming any other video. So it's up yeah, to you what you dope. want to do. And she had this kind of ballsy, not give a fuck attitude at 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, so Solid asked her to join So Solid when she was much younger and they were in a much more commanding position than yeah. she was. This was just around the time Boo was about to come out. And she was like, no, you're all right. Like, safe, mega, we're cool in that. Yeah. But I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be under your wing. As, yeah, as, yeah, yeah, and yeah. at the time, So Solid were the biggest thing in the country. Yeah, yeah. So in many ways, Nia had a kind of um, do-it-yourself mentality, even though she was on a major label. And that inspired me. And I was lucky enough that, you know, some investors came in. Um, you know, not it's not like they invested 10 million quid in me, you know, but yeah. they, they put up some money so I could film some videos and we started this company. And 10 years later, here we are. You know, first album came out in 2006. It'll be 10 years next year. And it's weird because I've gone the proper long way about it, but we're now in a position where I can tour around the world, where I can 
sell you know ten fifteen thousand live tickets a year in the UK without much without yeah. really releasing a single. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I toured in March. I'm going to tour again in um in November, and it's weird because the urban scene is such a strange thing that you have hype and you have success, and sometimes people have both. You know, some people but have some, hype and success. Sometimes, sometimes they definitely have one don't. I mean, some, it's one of the things I saw because. Uh, when I was coming up, again, we'd done it all so independently, weren't particularly part of any scene. Yeah. And it would surprise me to see people that I perceived as being up here, like the hype I'd heard about, mm-hmm. them, and then seeing them struggling to sell out a two, a 300 People don't realise how hard it is to get people and to come and pay to see you. Exactly right? that. It's and a challenge. The way, b- 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 because we'd done it quite independently, but we'd, we'd grinded it out, we'd built this live yeah. following that meant exactly. we could sell out two three thousand yeah. caps and it's yeah. like shit there's people who perception because they're on a bigger label yeah perception would say these guys are huge yeah. and it's like well actually you know it's it's it's, it's real it's terms versus it, yeah. real yeah. you know a, stro- a strong fan base and it, it, it especially for a you know within uk hip-hop i remember when i was in school the idea that you could have a career as a UK rapper just seemed bloody ridiculous. No. Because everyone was, just... It was a competition with other people you knew yeah, rather exactly. than to everyone be just on this aspiring America, right? thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in many ways, I'm kind of like, fucking hell, like... Even though I always expected to, quote-unquote, succeed, in many ways, I'm, I'm... People always ask me, even supporters of mine, oh, but you should be so much more, more well-known, your music's this, blah, blah, blah. Don't you get pissed off? And I think people expect me to say yes, but no, I really couldn't give a shit. You know, yeah. I do what I love for a living every day. If yeah, I don't want to get out of my bed tomorrow, I don't have to. Yeah. And to me, that's enough. I don't need to be a multimillionaire. You know, I'm comfortable. I have a nice car. I live in a nice house. I have probably 3,000 books in my library. You know, I travel all over the world. I don't need to drive a Rolls Royce to feel yeah. good about myself. And I'm not knocking anyone that even does. I'm just saying that for me, I feel comfortable. And I also feel comfortable in the trajectory. It might take me another five, six years to get to a level where people generally think, oh, right, oh, I see what you've been doing all these years. Yeah. But I think enough people kind of get it. And I think that also, you know, just it's, it's I just feel very lucky and I feel very yeah. blessed because I've been able to maintain that independence for so long. And yeah. still have a viable career. And really, that all comes down to the supporters. And 100%. it comes down to people that are willing to kind of stay with you if they believe in what you do and they like what you do. Definitely. But I also think it's about diversifying as an artist. What's great about this time that we live in is being able to do a bit of theatre, write a graphic novel, you know, do a lot of the education work I do, to have a broad range of things that you do so that you are constantly evolving as an artist and a yeah. performer and not be boxed in. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I definitely want to talk more on the theatre front but I also want to just highlight and agree with what you were saying there about your sister choosing the single that she wanted to be the first single I think there's I've had this argument in the past and I ended up doing it on my solo record and then we ended up doing it on our our last record with me and Dan and my argument was always right if this is the song that the label think is going to blow everything up then just just let me put the one that I think should be first because it shouldn't should make a difference. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you think yeah, no one's exactly. going to care about this, then cool. Because yeah. the people that are already there, I want them to know to. that this is what I'm about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This other one might be the more the more poppy or the more yeah. commercially accessible, but I want my people at first to know yeah. this Secure is what I'm about. Secure what you already have. Yeah. Because people will go away from you if you if you feed them shit they don't like. My argument or my example of that is always a, a Kendrick Lamar, and it's turned around a bit now, but when... Um, Dr- dr- drank. I can't mm. think of, of, of what the actual Shrimples name is. Or it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Swimples. That's right. Oh, 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 when that came out, if you listen to that, that is an that's 
that's a conscious hip hop track. Mm. That's talking about about alcoholism and the, mm. the the troubles of it. Now, uh, you know, I've never even listened to it like that. So exactly, people don't. People don't. But that's it. Yeah. I played it on the on on my radio sh- show when I had a show on XFM, and a lot of people were like, oh, "Why are you playing this commercial hip hop or whatever?" I was like, "If this was my song, you'd." you'd have paid more attention because you're expecting it to be more conscious yeah. you'd have listened to the lyrics a bit more and heard this but because it's someone you f- see as just commercial rap you're not paying attention to the the, the that's the, very possible because I've in, never in, even noticed that myself but it's so. in it or genuinely yeah it's it's great in that way but and that's what I mean if 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 your sister had come straight out with the more poppy one then people would have gone ah oh, fuck yeah, do you exactly. know what I mean she's gone pop yeah. whereas if she's come out first going nah it's cool Here's my you, thing. It's yeah. all right to hear what's coming next because this is popular, but you know it's yeah. you'll you'll listen to it that bit more and get the the intricacies of it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, but let's let's talk about a, a theatre because that's as huge a part as anything in your a career, I'd say, really now. Yeah, I mean, from from going down the spoken word route to mm-hmm. going down putting on plays and, and putting mm-hmm. on putting together pr- production companies and, and and the whole thing. So we we. We are, at the moment, um, we did our last tour. So the Hip Hop Shakespeare Company is a music theatre and education uh, company that I launched in 2009, officially. Um, and obviously it was really interesting because Sam McKellen came to our launch workshop and that created Amazing. a bit of kind of fury. He was really cool, to be honest with you. He really worked well with the with the kind of local young people. Um, was really not, even though he had his preconceptions of hip hop, he said he was trying to bring Patrick Stewart to the workshop too, but Patrick Stewart just hates hip hop. Because <laughs> he hates <laughs> he hates what he thinks is hip hop, right? He's yeah, probably yeah, never yeah, listened yeah, to a yeah. Saul Williams or a Gil Scott Heron yeah. or any of... Any of the stuff that you might... Just you know, as a yeah. footnote, the first time I saw you was supporting Saul Williams at the Scala. Oh, there you go. Like early, mid-2000s yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah, that was, must have been 2006. 2006. Yeah, or 2006. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was right exactly, right. Yeah. It was, yeah, that Sorry. was... Wow, there you go. Yeah, so I did, I did do that support for Saul. Um, and, yeah, saying was really cool. And so, so the aim of Hip Hop Shakespeare, our last tour was Richard II. We'll probably be touring that again in the spring. And what we actually did was we took Richard II, I took that play because it's quite frankly a bit of a fucking boring play but there's like five bits of incredible writing in it there's a scene with John O'Gaunt there's two or three great speeches Um, and so we took the bits that we loved and then we rewrote the rest as concept as songs basically so we created this concept album like a gig literally like a a live band gig of a Shakespeare album with theatrical acted elements in between it and we deliberately toured it in music venues we went to all the academy venues the smaller ones and that's the way we started to build a live following for that and now we're going to put that on again next year again the great thing there is taking it Mm. to music venues because it's easy to get funding and support again from the middle classes and upper classes mm-hmm. when you're you're putting anything that's they see as urban mm-hmm. in 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 theaters in mm-hmm. these art spaces or whatever but the key there is taking it where the people that you, you're trying to reach are going to hear it where mm-hmm. people from areas that you grew up in are mm-hmm. going to come out and hear it and give mm-hmm. it a look and pay attention to it mm-hmm. rather than just going oh isn't this isn't this nice that we're doing this this well, I think diversion? You, I think you can sort of do both, and that's what yeah. we've tried to do. We've tried to. I mean, I've done stuff at the Southbank Centre, yeah, where yeah, I did. A, I got this lecture format I do called Hip Hop History, and it's a way I use hip hop to tell the history of the African diaspora. And last time I did the Southbank, two and a half thousand people came. Granted, it was free, but it was like even I think for the Southbank, they were like, "Rah!" Like we've never had and look where it is it's on the south bank it's two minutes from elephant and castle or brixton yeah, or completely and so you had such a range of people and i think a lot of the time we don't give our audience enough credit we don't think audiences are intelligent enough and sophisticated enough and uh, real enough to like we've done shows this is more for hip-hop shakespeare than me because my stuff's a lot more aggressive 
in its in its in what it's saying. Yeah. But we've done shows where there's been seventy five year old people there and four year olds there, and everyone's enjoyed themselves. And yeah, our our mission. Great. As much as it's about spreading education, re-educating people about hip-hop, re-educating people about Shakespeare and just poetry in general, it's also about looking at innovative and interesting ways in which the stage can be used in the 21st century, the way we can create something new and unique to London, the way we can add a new voice to hip-hop, the way we can change the dialogue around Shakespeare being seen as this dusty old guy that died 400 years ago that's got nothing relevant to say, when in his time, the vast majority of people that went to see him were illiterate where people right. who couldn't read or write and were people that were significantly poorer than anyone who lives in England today. And so really those are a lot of the things we're trying to do across film, across TV and, and on the stage. And then I did my first one-man theatre show this year at a place called the Dissenters Chapel, just up in Kensal Green, called The Knowledge Seeker's Journey, which was a one-man sort of esoteric, long-form poem journey show thing, again, which I'm trying to adapt. And that's part of my development process to turn in my graphic novel, which I'll give you when we finish, yeah, um, a copy of The Ruins of Empires. I'm trying to turn that into a full-scale big theatre production. And so that uh, is part of that development. Also, we've been working on an EP with a producer called uh, Prashant Mystery. And that is a, for want of a better word, an audio book, really. It's, it's produced music, but it's me reading short stories yeah. over a collection of produced uh, beats, soundscapes, songs. Uh, we might release that late this year. We might release it early next year. Not decided is there, yet. Is there plans to do that as, as a live... Yeah, a it's live, called A Conversation a With Freedom. Well. we'll probably do that as a separate live thing from a regular Akala tour. And then we have... Next year, spring, it will be the 10th anniversary of my debut album. Yeah. So I'm going to put... Amazing. Uh, I've never put most of my music on be, vinyl. How's that f- feel to be 10 years it's in mad. the game? It's mad. 10 years in the game. It's mad, 10 years in the game and, and still here. So I'm going to I'm gonna do like a vinyl. I don't want to call it a greatest hits because obviously I haven't had any hits technically. You know, I've had uh, kind of cult hits with, my, yeah, yeah, with yeah. my group, but I've never been in the charts in that way. Yeah. So I'm going to do a best of the last 10 years on vinyl. So That's people watch out for that. And, yeah. and, you know, those all kind of, like I said, just feel blessed to be here, still feel very blessed to be making music, you know. Um, That's it, amazing. Yeah, so, cool. so where can people keep up to date on all of this? I mean, the the good thing about this podcast, I mean, we put it on iTunes and everywhere else, but we also do it with an app called Acast. Mm-hmm. And again, it's part of this whole my feeling of the, the podcast and that being the future of technology mm-hmm. is we tag everything as we're going along. So mm-hmm. while you were talking about a, a, a hip hop sh- Shakespeare. If they'd wanted, they click and they're on the hip hop Shakespeare website. Mm-hmm. And and oh, all okay. these different subjects and topics that we've discussed. If you want to a, a look down, you've yeah. got that. As Brilliant. we were saying earlier, the fact is there's so much information out there, but a lot of people are too lazy to look for it. Mm, That's for one sure. of the dope things about the podcast mm. revolution with things like Acast is that you can cut that laziness out. You can say, right, we were talking about. Nah, the arrow that, spr- yeah. springs earlier even if it's just the wikipedia page explaining yeah, what the fuck yeah. that term means or exactly, what that was yeah. then here we go so yeah that's kind of exciting but where can people uh, best keep up place is twitter everything you you know twitter? i post to my facebook stuff that i'm doing life questions different things go on my facebook but i'll be honest with you people message me on facebook and if you don't get a response don't be upset just if i were to respond i'm not going to get someone from the office to respond to a personal fan message yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a bit bad they might yeah. you know send a generic email here or if there's something particular they pick out but 
I can only keep up with one social network full time. Otherwise, yeah. it, that would be all I did. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Twitter, if someone responds to you on Twitter, that is me responding to you. I don't Perfect. let anyone else use Twitter. On, on so Twitter. Twitter is at Akala Music. Yep. So is Facebook. So is Instagram. But Facebook and Insta, if you want to actually message me, I, I wouldn't do that on there so much. Yeah. I would do it on the Twitter. So, I do so, sometimes get go and get at me on Twitter is best. But check out the Facebook and the Insta for where I'm touring or what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. But really, Twitter is the, the one social network that I can Perfect. use. Perfect. Well, I mean, we've gone... A, a well over the normal we amount and I yet. think we're going to have to do another one down the line at some point because it's been, been great fun but thank you very much no, for, for making the time anytime big Cheers, up man. pleasure you've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces there we go. That was, as said, two specials this week, and we will put the drunk cast out probably this week as well. I'll, 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 I'll get round to that. But for now, there's, there's the two. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in, and as said, support people in any way you can in these times. Um, stay safe, and see you all soon. Ta ta. <laughs>